The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia. Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association, and welcome to Retail Therapy, a podcast proudly brought to you by American Express. The ARA is Australia's largest and oldest retail association, representing around 7,500 independent national and international members. Each episode, I'll be chatting with a leader in Australia's retail industry right here in the Amex Lounge, including the CEOs of some of the biggest retailers in Australia and across the globe. We'll be finding out what makes them tick, what defines their leadership style, and how they got to the top of their game. So join me for some retail therapy as we ask these questions and more and navigate our way through the retail industry, Australia's largest private sector employer. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. Time to continue our look back at the best of Season 1 of Retail Therapy. In this episode, we're focusing on the digital trends and innovations that are occurring in the industry. Nicole Sheffield gave us some incredible insights from Australia Post. What's changed since she started her career and how did this affect e-commerce? Let's hear what she has to say. Wow. Well, look, I've been in digital for a really long time. Like I started at Telstra. Don't give your, don't give your age uh, away. Don't give well, your age it was away. 25 years ago. Um, so I have seen many different um, iterations of the digital journey. Ultimately, I don't love the word digital because for me, it's all about improving customer experience. And what digital does is take friction out of the shopping experience. So if it's done well, it actually is, it doesn't matter if it's in the palm of my hand. It's actually when I'm in an outlet or I'm, you know, you know, where I'm on a bus, wherever it is, it's how I take friction out or I'm just tracking. I've already made the purchase, but I don't feel it. Until it gets into my hands, I don't feel that that is done. So what's changed? Everything's changed. What's changed ultimately, I think, um, is a major shift in not just how many people are consuming but how often they're consuming. And my role prior to this was Chief Digital Officer at News Corp and we would say that the average person will go to the average person. Mm. There's many people that are beyond this but the average person will look to you know, at that time, five to 10 sites or apps in an hour. Now, many a times they're going back to the same thing, like, you know, checking my social yes. profile, who's actually commented on my post or checking my, you know, you'd be surprised at how much we check out banking apps, you know, or we go to news.com.au because we need the latest maths spoof or whatever, you know, whatever yes, it is that is. does yeah, it for yeah, you. Sure. But the reality is what happened with digital is it used to be something that was seen as entertainment at the end of the day. And what happened is it became such a big part of our daily lives and part of the, you know, it's, bit of a rest at work and no one really thought you were on a website. They just thought you were working because you're on your computer and you got your headphones on. So all of these things changed and e-commerce took a little longer to happen because all of a sudden we had to feel comfortable with making the payment. Yes. And Australia really fell behind the rest of the world. You know, the rest of the world, you know, whether it was the Amazon effect or confidence in payments or what it was, there was a number of things that meant Australians were a little bit more 
um, tentative in how they went on their online journey. What we saw was the early adoption happened in that, you know, what we now know as the millennials. Yes. But back then they were kind of young 20-somethings and, you know, and it really was, you know, I mean, you'd see these big social phenomenons. You know, Tinder would take off and yes. everyone needed something immediately for their new date tomorrow night because yes. swiped. I don't know, was it right or left? I've been married too long. Whichever way they did. And then bang, you know, then that iconic dress had to happen like within a period of time. And so we started to see this happen. I think the other big thing that what happened was customer experiences shifted in all of these different parts of our lives. So think about Uber. Uber experience is an amazing experience. It's not just about the app. It's actually about the fact that I don't just choose where I'm going. When I get into that Uber, the guy says, Hi, Nicole, and I go, hi, Suresh or whatever, and he knows exactly where I'm going and I get out of that Uber. Yes. I don't even have to pay him. It's all done for it's, me. It's, it's right? se- seamless. It's so seamless. Well, it's a step further now. They're offering you whether you want conversation, yes or no, with the air conditioning, yes or no. Yeah, so right. like it's, 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 it's an amazing that's right. experience to learn from. And so if you take that experience that we've been used to now for four or five years or you take the Netflix experience, which is so personalised, it really does know me and recommendations that really get to know me, that's what I expect in my shop experience. And so when we start to see retailers really drive that, um, you start to see massive adoption by different cohorts. And the other big trend we saw is, you know, the growth of home and gardening and home office. Also, the Grey Army came Mm. online and they shopped in mass. And that was sort of a massive shift because we saw this group that we really had struggled to use FaceTime. I mean, I've seen more of my mother's nostrils in the last two years than I ever need to. Mum, hold it up, hold it up. But the point is, is she is now feeling comfortable in using this thing that sits in her hand. Yeah. And I couldn't even give her a phone five years ago. She's like, I don't need that rubbish, you know? Yeah, we, we, we shouldn't ever talk about positive things that came out of the pandemic, but that's probably one of them. Like, it did accelerate trends that were already occurring, but they just brought it forward by like a decade's worth of trends in 10 months. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of those are positive. And I think the most of those um, behaviours will be embedded and stay. So uh, let's hope the momentum in online shopping continues the way it's been going. As we know, working from home meant that many of us needed to set up a home office. There's no better person to hear from than Sarah Hunter from Officeworks, who shared her views on flexible working and its future. It's a really interesting question. I would say a workplace that's inflexible isn't good. And I would say that a workplace, because uh, there's there are plenty of businesses before COVID that had a culture of presenteeism, sure, that weren't allowing people to bring them bring their best selves to work, and weren't allowing the best talent available to participate in being part of that company or part of that workforce, or even more broadly, the workforce in general. I think retail leads the way in terms of the way we embrace flexibility, certainly on the shop floor and in our distribution centres. And I think it's a huge opportunity for us now with everything we've learned through COVID to translate that flexibility into how we work in our support centres. I genuinely have seen the feedback from our team as we've embraced flexibility and we uh, started that with hashtag FlexFeb in February (laughs) when we launched our new flexibility policy. The feedback from our team is just both across the whole business on the shop floor in our DCs um, uh, in the support centre is just extraordinarily positive and they really recognise that working for a business that cares genuinely about making work 
life work for an individual. Yes. Um, so that they can be their best selves, be the best parent or carer or um, partner or um, the healthiest that they can be that allows them to do that is what they're looking for in an employer. So I see it as a massive opportunity. That said, it flexibility doesn't mean you never connect with your employer. So actually, I think there really genuinely is a watch out for employers who who aren't connected to their team. And, you know, we have a duty of care to our team members to make sure that they are still checking in and they are still connected and engaging with us as their employer. So, we're all going to have to learn new skills and we are all learning new skills on how to make that happen. So, so do you think that this hybrid model is probably the way of the future of part, partly being at home, partly being at the office and that gets, you, gets the best of both worlds, I, I, I take it? Yeah, I do. And I genuinely think it is um, being in the right location for the work that you're doing. So when I'm reading board papers, I don't really want to do it in the office. I'm going to do it at home. It's more comfortable. I can see my kids in the morning or in the afternoon. It's just a better way for me to be working. Whereas when I'm doing, um, when I'm having collaboration sessions with my team, I, I to be honest, all the technology in the world isn't a substitute. Like it no, doesn't really no. work. It's so much better face-to-face. So, so it's, it's a bit like horses for courses, I guess, that the physical locations yeah. that match the work that you're doing at the time. It's a really good tip actually because I know yeah. that a lot of leaders are really struggling with this area and it looks like, it sounds like to me that you've already worked this all out through. So it's, it's a great um, help. <laughs> we haven't, Paul. No, no, but, but you, 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 say... <laughs> you've been able to articulate it. So that's that's a good start. Yeah. And I think my only other advice would be is to recognise that we're all learning. Yes. And and we're not all going to have the answer. And what is right for us right now might not be right for us in six or 12 sure. months' time. So we're just being honest about learning with our team around what works and when it does. Anthony Herity leads a range of brands at Super Retail Group, including BCF, MacPack, Rebel and Super Cheap Auto. Let's hear what he had to say about the biggest changes he's seen in retail. I mean, well, this is why I, I am so fascinated and have such a passion for this industry. It is just a change of thought. I mean, nothing is constant. Um, and, you know, we're arguably, I mean, I sort of, you know, we talk about, you know, the state of retail in, in our company, you know, I've said before, and I think it's right, this is, we're living through the biggest change in 2000 years. Um, you know, where you've got, you know, individual, we've always had, uh, you know, one on one relationship with a customer or one on many, but to have one on one millions of times once at a time, mm. I mean, that is a huge transformation. And, you know, the introduction of things like, you know, customer data, analytics, you know, the birth of online, the fact that, you know, customers are sweeping in and out of channels. Um, you know, multiple, in multiple ways at multiple times, you know, adds a real complexity and a real depth well beyond just simply product price and convenience. Mm. And I think, I think it's the, the, I think the biggest change is that if you did those three things pretty well, you know, product price, convenience, you're going to be successful. Mm. Now, that's, that's no surety. You know, you've got a whole bunch of other to-do lists to add to that in order to be successful. And I think that's super exciting. You know, it's, you know, because when you've got change and broken play and kind of confusion, that's where, you know, you find huge opportunity. And I think there's a there's a lot of opportunity out there for really good retailers uh, today. I've always thought that, um, you know, uh, 
very much around the, the historic nature of retail. It was very much about having high emotional intelligence because there was such an absence of data. Now it's become much more of a science. It's much more more about that intellectual property that actually allows you to make decisions. And I guess if you can harness both, you, you're doing a great job. So um, it's a really interesting way to see that we've talked lots about data in the past, but you know it's been a, it's been at a massive trajectory upwards as, as more and more companies are collecting information, getting to know their customers um, a lot more. So it's 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 very powerful. Oh, it's a good, and I think that's a, a a really valid point because you know if you if you're just running gut feel without data, I think you're going to find yourself up the creek. And if you're if you're running just data with no gut feel, you're equally going to find yourself mm. up the creek because at the end of the day, you know, customers are human creatures uh, with emotions. They don't react completely rationally. We know that, uh, and so having that EQ is entirely entirely correct, and that's why. You know, we big believers in you know omni-channel, like omni-all. You know, it's not just yes. a digital data game. Equally, it's not just a touchy-feely store game. It's both, in equal measure, executed brilliantly. Yes. Um, and I think the extremes of both arguments are, are sort of dangerous. Let's hear more from Anthony about innovation at Super Retail Group and retail more broadly, forced by the hand of COVID nineteen. Be like the the song, right? You can make it here. You can make it anywhere. Yeah, like you can point. do it. If you can do it under these circumstances, well, under normal circumstances, no excuse. Yes. Um, so yeah, I think you know it was it was look it was an incredibly challenging times, but you know some great like you always get some some silver linings, and there is some some good ones here. Yeah. And I think for Australian retail, you know, we've proved over this period that we can you know we can we can we can rock it with the best of them. Karen Bozik from Cravable Brands told us about the biggest transformations in the food retail industry, specifically around trust, hygiene and accessibility. Yeah, I think um, two or three things really. The first one I would say trust. Um, you know, at a time where people had heightened sensitivity about even stepping outside their front door, uh, consumers being able to turn to organisations they really trust um, was key. And you can see that no matter what you did over the last 12 to 18 months, customers were watching very, very closely and determining whether you and your business were people that they could trust. So I think that is... Specifically to do with hygiene? Yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And also um, accessibility. So convenience, obviously, is the other big trend. You know, we've seen our drive-through and our delivery formats absolutely accelerate over this last 18 months. It's been crazy. And I would add to that a third dimension, which is home consumption. Mm. I think a lot of us, you know, initially not by choice, had to learn uh, how to entertain ourselves. We got sick of cooking at home. Um, And so home consumption meant different things for different people. For some people, it meant going to the shops and cooking. For others, it meant meal kits. For others, it meant buying food like ours and taking that home to consume. Yes. Um, Which is not something people had had done a lot of previously. Mm. But I think some of that actually is a permanent shift as I do the shift around convenience as as being somewhat substantial going forward too. So so much more towards contactless shopping as in purchases uh, yeah. more, more at home type experiences than we've seen before, and uh, yeah, absolutely. So I think quick, easy, trustworthy, uh, minimal impact. I can get in and out, maybe not run into people. I can do it at my fingertips. So if I'm at home working and also looking after the children, I can order a meal online and either have that delivered or send hubby or a wife up to go pick it up. Um, have absolutely been shifts, and you know I think people have learned to. Um, use their time much more economically over this period. You know, mm. people have used flexible working in different yes. ways and, and people have managed to organise their lives differently and they do things that suit them now. So convenience is very much something here to say. Is, is working from home um, a trend 
that you've seen has, has positively impacted your organisation or negatively impacted? Yeah, why? I think, well, let's put two hats on. So um, let's put those who work in the traditional support office environment. I think that's been a really positive development. Um, you know, there's no way we're going back to mandating people coming into the office five days a week. And that's because we've proven that flexible working is, is at least productive, if not more productive than what we were doing before. And I think it's given people a sense of control back into their lives. Yes. You know, for some, it's meant that they can now fit in exercise that they couldn't before. For me, it's been being more present in my household with my family. Um, so I think that's a really positive thing. What that's meant for our store network is different things. So we've absolutely seen that rise in suburbia. And people, you know, for all the reasons we just spoke about, people spending more time in those locations. So I think, you know, we've seen strong uh, growth and development in some suburban shopping centres, but shopping strips as well. The converse of that, of course, is the poor CBD and fringe CBD areas, um, which have been challenged and I think are going to be, remain challenged for some time. Are you, are you exposed? Is your organisation exposed much in the CBD? Yeah, we are. I mean, thankfully, it's a small amount in our portfolio, but we absolutely have sites in um, CBD, fringe CBD, transit locations, entertainment venues, which have been significantly impacted due to restrictions. Mm. Well, it, let's hope that that changes, but um, it does look like there's going to be a tough um, drawout of CBD, particularly in Melbourne and in Sydney yeah. uh, specifically, and that's obviously what you've seen in your organisation or your business as well. Yeah, no, we, we are seeing that, um, and it's it's a tricky one because in one hat you absolutely want your businesses to go back to where they are, but at the same hand, you know, within your own business you're propagating flexible working, so mm. it feels a bit of a conflict, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we just have to work differently around that to drive traffic and work with landlords to help us out. He's the boss of Australia's biggest retailer for home improvements. So let's hear what Mike Schneider had to say about the digital innovations at Bunnings. It's definitely a journey. Our first our first online offerings, and they were pretty modest, were our 20,000 special order SKUs in February 2018. Progressively through 2019, um, we, we were rolling our online offer, which is click and collect um, and click and deliver out to our Australian network. And we had plans to go live in New Zealand uh, about now in 2021, um, by early last year, we had all of Australia and New Zealand online. So we moved very, very quickly. We've recently completed a significant replatform of our consumer website. Our trade website goes live uh, in the first half of, of FY22. So it's still very much a journey, still so much for us to do. We're, we're in the early days. And when we compare ourselves to our global peers, so Home Depot and Lowe's and Kingfisher or Grupo Dio in, in France and Germany. Um, yeah, it's really clear we've got a lot of lot of runway still in front of us. What we want to make sure of is that wherever a customer wants to engage with our brand, they get the best possible experience, whether that's inspiration for a project, education through our YouTube channel, transactional capability, or coming into store and, and purchasing from us. That That's really important. And for our trade customers, we've taken that a step further with our, our trade account program is called PowerPass. And, and if you have the digital version of PowerPass, you can actually transact on your mobile device. So you drive in, load up your ute or your trailer, scan all the products yourself. That generates a, a, a charge against your trade account. It gives the QR code to the person on the on the gate. They can check your, your ute or your uh, trailer just the way that they would if you'd been through the checkout and you're on your way, but you've probably saved 10 or 15 minutes on the way through, which when time's money running a small business, that's really important. Richard Murray, former CEO of JB Hi-Fi and the new CEO of Premier Investments, gave us a great overview of the innovations forced upon retailers by consumers in the digital age and provided some interesting food for thought. I think a great combination of people who have grown up in stores and people with external experience in a world of digital and omni-channel and, and just 
you know, retail. God love it yes. when customers just walk, went to, used to walk into your store and pick up a product and take it to the counter. They they were so good. Life, now life was simpler. Like, like their life was so much simpler. Now I want this product, and one's in a warehouse, and one's in the store, and I'd like it home delivered. But actually, no, I want to change mine. I'm going to come and do click and collect this afternoon. Is it ready? And some some poor person in IT has to, deliver, to, to build this system that just deals. I mean, customers effectively are asking us to design IT systems that think as fluidly as the human brain, which is an awesome challenge. But having having tried to achieve it, it's incredibly hard. Um, and I often say to people, if you think about a website, right? If you walk into a JB Hi-Fi store, you will inc- really quickly. You'll go, TVs are over there, computers are over there, Apple's there, accessories are there. You kind of get it, right? Because the human brain just absorbs it really quickly. On a website, you know, that that UX is so important. And um, trying to design a website that can deal with the amount of complexity the human brain deals with in a retail format yeah, you know, is not without, you know, is, is the holy grail. And and even the best websites in the world, I still dispute um, that it's still, sorry, we still don't do it as well as the consumer walking into our stores. And that's really the holy grail. You can get it like you, you pull up a website, it's like walking into your store and it's got all the, the authenticity or the energy mm-hmm. or the simplicity of your store environment Um hopefully without the rent bill, um, (laughs) is a good outcome. Jay McNally, CEO of popular fashion house Camilla, spoke candidly about how to respond to emergencies and issues and what this does to innovation within a company. Look, I think when you're in crisis, the the key things are always clear focus and constant communication. You know, my my son is a, a firefighter and he tells me the same thing in that job. And I think during a pandemic, um, there are so many brand new challenges which emerge rapidly. You've got to think about team health and safety, retail closures, legislative change, travel bans, wholesaler distress, supply chain interruption. So, you know, responding to all those big issues requires you keeping calm and staying in close contact with your team. And I think the thing I'm most thankful for that is that we've got a very strong and cohesive leadership team at Camilla. And we had, in fact, just completed a coaching team leadership program just before uh, the pandemic hit and that further solidified that team bond. Um, so we huddled together virtually every day to thrash out solutions and importantly ensure that any actions that we were taking were cohesive throughout the business, because that's the other thing that can go wrong. You've got a great solution for one bit, but it throws something else off balance. And I think also transparency. So letting the, the team know what's happening is always key. Uh, people were frightened, you know, and I'm, I always make sure that we debrief our whole team on a weekly basis. And it doesn't matter if the news is good or bad. It's never as, it's never so bad if you're actually facing it. And obviously during the main crisis period, we switched from face-to-face to live stream. But I think there were positives. I think everyone that's been on this series with you, Paul, talks about the positives that came out of it. And I think for us, there was an amazing esprit de corps, a real determination by the team to get through this in strong shape. And because in the first wave, we had no idea how long this crisis would last, the entire team took a voluntary temporary pay cut, which I'm thankful to say we've all now repaid. You know, we had some deployment. For example, the boutique team moved to digital support and we had a few reduced hours, but there were no COVID redundancies, which is brilliant. And we're now employing like crazy again. But also as a positive, we had some, you know, we learned some great lessons and accelerated many initiatives. 
I think we we knew instinctively for our brand, uh, which has uh, you know a lot of close connectivity, that uh, keeping that connectivity going would be absolutely key. Our VIPs yes, customers yes. they traditionally love uh, to shop in a boutiques, um, and we knew that to bring them online, we had to transfer the personal experience and connection into a remote online shopping environment. And accordingly, we made the decision you know to keep those store teams employed and harnessing their personal interpersonal skills into that digital environment. We offered online styling. We offered accompanied virtual shops. We live streamed new capsule drops and the list goes on. And we also pivoted at at light speed into what our customers were asking us for at that point, which was Camilla Zenware. Now, Camilla Zenware is a combination of active and loungewear. And it's just as suitable for drinking wine on the sofa, you'll be pleased to hear, or I was anyway, as it is for yoga, Pilates and the now infamous Zoom meetings. Fabulous. Digital innovation is on the top of the list for most, if not all, retailers. Erica Birchtold shared with me some very interesting insights into the Iconics journey over the last 10 years in this space. And what is the organisation working on now? Let's have a listen. There's been a lot of R&D and learnings. Um, You know, we like to say we want to be seamless when customers know what they want and then inspiring when they don't. And really what that means is seamless when they know what they want. We have to have the best search function and the best ability for people to get in and find exactly what they want by brand or by style or item. And then inspiring when they don't means what sort of inspiring content have we got to just help people imagine what they might want so um you know i've got a wedding to go to imagine a world where you could actually go to a wedding again paul and what am i going to Mm. wear and here's some outfits and here's how you might accessorize it um and then um you know we really believe i really believe that every experience in a bricks and mortar um experience can be converted to online we just need to Mm. translate it so sizing fit outfitting and i think we've made some really great headway but There's things like follow the brand, which is part of our app that allows you, it's almost like an Insta feed on just your favorite brands. Yes. So like Manning Cartel or Minima Essentials, a couple of our brands, every time they've got, like I follow those brands, every time they've got new product, then that pops up onto my feed and I can have a bit of a look. Um, We've got, um, of course, wish listing is not particularly novel, like a lot of people do that, but we also have the ability to create wish list boards. So, for example, my nieces, um, they do this to me all the time. They're like, hint, hint, you know how you said you want to be our favourite auntie? Here's a wish list board of all of my favourite things. Imagine if they were to turn up at my house. Um, And so, But that's a really great way for kids to tell their parents what they want or I could tell my husband, here's the stuff that I like. Or you could just create a wish list board yourself of just things that you like. Um, we have snap to shops so that's where I could take a photo of you right now and upload that onto the app and it would pull up all sorts of similar items there so and you could do that from a magazine or just someone walking down the street Uh, we've got some new well it's not actually so new now we've had it for a year or so um, some AR called visualize which is a 360 degree AR sneaker experience so you can actually see what a sneaker looks like on your foot and we don't do this stuff just for, for you know giggles um you know that visualized technology for example saw an increased conversion rate and a lower return rate because actually people do want to see what that shoe looks like on their yeah, foot yeah. so rolling out that sort of ar gave them the ability to see that without being in a store trying that on so you know really what's next for us is just that doubling down on the use of data like we have a lot of data and it's using that to power the brands that we bring to market and share those valuable insights with our partners and 
you know, just keep delivering that excellent customer experience. That brings us to the end of this episode, looking at the best of culture and innovation from season one of Retail Therapy. Thanks for joining us on the Amex Lounge for some retail therapy. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. We can be found wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, wherever you love to connect. All the links can be found in the show notes. I can't wait to talk retail therapy with Australia's retail leaders and share these conversations with you, the future leaders, business owners and innovators of the industry.